This is Tommy Peeler, and this is Carefully Examining the Text. And in our podcast today, we want to look at Psalm 26. Psalm 26 is described as a psalm of David. And here are the words from the New American Standard Bible. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hand is a wicked scheme and in whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me... I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. Now, this particular psalm does not specifically mention persecutions or sickness. This particular psalm is very difficult to classify. But in this particular psalm, like Psalms 7 and Psalm 17, David is focusing on his innocence. Perhaps he has been falsely accused. Perhaps he's been falsely charged. He appeals to the God who knows all things and begs God to try him and to test him. There are also similarities between Psalm 26 and Psalm 15 and Psalm 24. Both of those psalms deal with the qualifications of one who would enter God's holy hill, the moral qualifications that were necessary. And this psalm has portions, particularly its description of the wicked in verses 4 and 5 and verses 9 and 10 that remind us of Psalm 15 and Psalm 24. But he begins by saying, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. The idea of walking in integrity is in verse 1, and it appears later in verse 11. And this almost serves as bookends to the psalm. The word integrity is often translated blameless. It was used of Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 1. It was used of David in 1 Kings 9, 4. And it was used of Job repeatedly in the first couple of chapters of Job. Job 1, 1, Job 1, 8, 
and Job 2 and verse 3. The writer has walked in integrity. He has walked blamelessly. The same author in Psalm 25 confessed his sin and begged God, do not remember the sins of my youth. In verse 7, he begged God in 2511, pardon me for your name's sake. But now he is righteous and he is begging his God to vindicate him. And he affirms in verse 1, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Or a better translation may be, I have trusted in the Lord and I have not slipped. Psalm 18 verse 36 uses this same word because God has made his pathway good or strong Therefore, his feet have not slipped. And here in this particular psalm, I have trusted in you and my feet have not slipped. And he begs God to examine him, to search him. In verse 2, examine me, O Lord, and try me and test my mind and my heart. The second word that is used, which is translated try in the New American Standard, is the word that's used of God testing Abraham in Genesis 22 in verse 1. It is used of God testing Israel in the wilderness in Exodus 15 verse 25. But it is also used of Israel testing God in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 2. But he begs God to examine him, to search him, to try him, and to test him. Now, words like this can be found in Psalm 7, in verses 3 through 5, and Psalm 17, verses 4 and 5. He begs God to thoroughly examine him. And obviously, this shows us that he is convinced of his innocence. But verse 3 is a reminder that he has not achieved this innocence all by himself. For verse 3 stresses God's loving kindness and God's truth. Now, these qualities are often mentioned together and, and used to describe God. For example, in Exodus 34 and verse 6, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Here, the writer can say that he has walked in his integrity. His feet have not slipped because God's loving kindness and God's truth have held him up and sustained him in the midst of difficulty. Now, verses 4 and 5 emphasize to us the kind of thing that the psalmist would not tolerate. He said, I do not sit with deceitful men. You notice that word sit is used at the first of verse 4, and it's used in the last line of verse 5. I will not sit with the wicked. Remember Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way with ungodly, nor stand in the way with sinners, nor sit in the seat 
of scoffers. A person is ultimately sitting with scoffers because he feels more and more comfortable with them. In the wording of Psalm 1, David affirms here that he will not sit with deceitful men. He will not seat, sit with the wicked. That he will not partake of their evil ways and share in their evil designs. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 5, I hate the assembly of evildoers. Now we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But right now, notice he hates the assembly of evildoers as God hated those involved in wickedness in Psalm 5, in verses 5 and 6. In verse 6, he again affirms his innocence. I shall wash my hands in innocence. And I will go about your altar, O Lord. Do you remember Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4? Ask who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place. And the answer is he who has clean hands and a pure heart. So as Psalm 24, 3 and 4 call for ones who had clean hands, here in Psalm 26, I will wash my hands in innocence. I'll wash my hands in innocence. In Deuteronomy 21, you see a ritual described in verses 1 through 9 where the elders of a city washed their hands, claiming innocence of any knowledge of the shed blood that was found near their city. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21, priests washed their hands and their feet before they came into the tabernacle of the Lord. And the writer says, I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I'll go about your altar, that I may proclaim the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Sacrifices of thanksgiving are mentioned in Leviticus 7 in verse 12. In Leviticus 22 and verse 29, they will be mentioned frequently in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 50 verse 14, Psalm 104, or excuse me, 107 verse 22, all mention sacrifices of thanksgiving. And as people gave a sacrifice of thanksgiving, they accompanied that, it seems, with a description of why they were bringing the offering. And that led to an opportunity to praise God and to tell of what he had done that I may proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. They were going to speak of all the great things that God had done for them. In verse 8, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I told you we would come back to verse 5. In verse 5, the psalmist hated the assembly of evildoers. But in contrast to hating the assembly of evildoers, he loves the habitation of God's house here in verse 8. 
He loves this. And the text tells us, I love the habitation of your house. He loves it not because of its architecture. He loves it because this is the place where God's glory dwells. The word translated habitation actually means a refuge and is so translated at some places in the psalm. I love the refuge of your house, the place where your glory dwells. You remember when the tabernacle was completed, the glory of the Lord filled the house and Moses could minister in Exodus 40 verses 34 and 35. And when the temple was completed, the same thing, the glory of the Lord fills the house and the priest could not minister. First Kings 8 and verse 11, I love the habitation. I love the refuge of your house and the place where your glory dwells. The word dwells is actually a form that's translated tabernacle several times in the first five books of the Old Testament. I love the habitation of your house. He hates the assembly of evildoers, but he loves the habitation of God's house. He loves to be in the house of the Lord. In Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his holy temple. In verses 6, in, in, in 26 verses 9 and 10, do not take my soul away with sinners, nor with men of bloodshed, in whose hands are wicked schemes and in whose right hands is full of bribes. You notice verse 10, a description of the hands of the evildoer. His hands form a wicked scheme. His right hand is full of bribes. Contrast that with the psalmist's hands in verse 6. I will wash my hands in innocence. He washes his hands in innocence. But then you get to verse 10, and the text emphasizes that the wicked's hand are wicked schemes and bribes. There's a contrast between the hands of the righteous and the hands of the wicked. In verse 11, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Just as verse 1 affirmed walking in integrity, this is his continual desire. This is where he will continue to walk and live. He will continue to walk in integrity. And he begs, redeem me and be gracious to me. There are several links between Psalm 26 and Psalm 25. In Psalm 25 verse 22, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. In, Gen in Psalm 25, in verse 16, uh, turn to me and be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. And, and here you find the plea, be gracious to me, in 2611. 
even though the writer walks in integrity, even though the writer has trusted in the Lord, he recognizes his need of God's grace and his redemption. He recognizes his dependence upon God's mercy. And he says in verse 12, My feet stands on a level place in the congregation. I shall praise the Lord. Now the word in verse 12, congregations, is actually the way it words in the New American Standard. And that's correct because this is a plural term. But it's the same root word, assembly or congregation, that was used in verse 5. Verse 5 talks about an assembly of evildoers. Verse 12 talks about an assembly whose purpose is to praise the Lord. Which assembly do we long to be a part of? Which congregation are we associating with? The one in verse 5 or the one in verse 12? What are some things... What are some ways we see Jesus in Psalm 26? First of all, the writer makes the plea that he is innocent. He is innocent. Perhaps he's been falsely accused, but whatever he's been accused of, he is innocent. But there was never one who was more innocent than Jesus. He is the only one who is innocent in the absolute sense of having never sinned or done wrong. As Hebrews 4 and verse 15 stresses, he, did, he was tempted in all points like we are, yet he without sin. Jesus was absolutely innocent. And in Jesus, in Jesus, God's glory dwelt with man in verse 8 I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells but God's glory dwelt among man in the person of Jesus in John 1 in verse 14 the Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the glory from the father full of grace and truth. God's glory dwelt among men, not simply in a tabernacle or in a temple, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, God's loving kindness and truth, which are celebrated in Psalm 26 verse 3, are most clearly seen. The Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ in Hebrews 1, or John 1, verse 17. John 1, verse 17. And the Hebrew translation of the New Testament uses the same two Hebrew words that Psalm 26, verse 3, uses for loving kindness and truth. And just as the writer of Psalm 26 loved God's glory, so Jesus was zealous for God's house. When he cleansed the temple, the text of John 2, 17 
says, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus is consumed with zeal for his house. He loves the habitation of God's house, the place where God's glory dwells. We do thank you for listening to our podcast, and may the Lord continue to bless you.